One thing that can never stop or slow down is the proclamation of the gospel to every person, tribe, nation, and tongue. That has to go forth no matter what. And God is not being thrown off guard by any of this. This is not a plan B for him. He is not worried about what's taking place because he is over all and is in control of all things. And we don't change our purpose and our mission based on our circumstances around us. And so continuing to proclaim the name of Jesus, continuing to give to missions, continuing to reach out to the community, those all must still go forth regardless of what's going on around us. So thank you for that. Thank you for giving to missions. For all those missionaries on that wall there, it's amazing that, that your church has, you can tell you have a great heart for missions. So continue to do that. Keep that up. And it really does make a difference and enables us to be able to go in country and to proclaim the gospel to all the people there. So, uh, so if you're ever in Cape Town, you're in the neighborhood, stop on by. We'll have you over for dinner. And uh, we'd love to have you come and visit us or see us. And, um, but we also, um, here at the table, we do have prayer cards. So I don't know how many prayer cards you have, but if you could add ours to the list, stick it on your fridge or in your bathroom or in your Bible where you can remember us and uh, pray for us. We also um, are selling some bags of African coffee. If you like coffee, then this is the day for you. And, um, and then we're also selling t-shirts. Those are American, but um, you can grab a t-shirt. All the t-shirts and the coffee, the proceeds go directly to our church plant in Cape Town. They don't go to us. And so if you would like to support our church in that way, we would really appreciate it. But come stop on by, sign up for our newsletter, and uh, we'd love to chat with you. And then you can meet the rest of the family when they come out. All right? Great. All right, perfect. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. And the message I want to bring this morning is, is an important message, I believe, for us as the church. Now, just to get some foundational things so we're all on the same page, um, it's important for us to understand that the church is not the building, Right? So this is a great facility and a wonderful building, but if this building, something happened to it, United Church would continue to exist because the church is not the facilities. The church are the people. And it's important for us to understand that as the church, we are all the body of Christ. We are all on the same team. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics I'm really sad they're ending today, but I love the Olympics. I'm, I, I could watch, if, they, if I could watch all 7,000 hours or however many hours they were showing of all the sports, I totally would. I just love the concept of the competitions, and, it just, and it's just fun for me. But just seeing the team sports and seeing the teams work together to accomplish the one purpose, that's, that's the, uh, a good example of what we as the church and as the body of Christ, how we should be working together. I don't ever see any of these other missionaries as competition because they're not. We're all on the same team. We don't see other churches as competition because they're not. We're all on the same team. United Church is on the same team as our church in Cape Town. We all have the same purpose, the same calling, the same focus, and that is proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ to those that are around us. So we have to understand that that is the purpose and the focus of who we are 
And so I've entitled the message today, Everyone on Mission, because that is our purpose. We are all to be on mission together, and that mission is reaching people. We are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be on mission together with an open heart towards others. As the church, we are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells in us when we accept Christ into our life and have, him, have God forgive us of our sins. He gives us the Holy Spirit. And the cool thing is, is that it's not just a piece of the Holy Spirit. God, being an infinite God, has so much of himself that it's hard for us to understand this, but when he fills us with his Holy Spirit, he actually puts the full power of himself in us. So the same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's living in you and me. That power is what we draw on when we're on mission together. We have to have that power from the Holy Spirit because otherwise, if we try to do something in our own strength, we're going to fail eventually because we weren't created to do things in our own strength. We were created to do things in tandem with God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have that power to be on mission together, making the name of Jesus Christ known with an open heart towards others. Every single person that comes into these doors should feel welcomed. Every person that talks to you should feel like you love them. We have to have an open heart towards others, no matter how they dress, no matter how they smell, no matter how they identify as themselves, no matter what family they're from or where they live. It does not matter because everyone needs Jesus, and we are his ambassadors. We're the ones that represent him. So we have to have an open heart towards others. That doesn't mean we agree with everything that's happening, but we have to be accepting of them so that they can feel the love of Jesus. And then we'll let God sort everything else out. But that's what we have to do, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to be on mission together with an open heart towards others. So whether it's across the street or around the world, we're all on the same mission together. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 8. We're going to see a story about a man named Philip. And let me give a little context to this before I start reading it. Um, we know Jesus died. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. The, uh, the uh, disciples were in the upper room. The Pentecost, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other tongues and other languages. And they were starting to have this momentum and preaching what Jesus did. And people were responding, and they were following Christ. Well, there's a certain group of people that were really upset about that. And it was a group of people you probably wouldn't expect, but it was the religious leaders. And they did not like that these disciples and apostles were talking about Christ and what he did. And so they brought in people for trials. And one of these individuals, they brought in for a trial. His name was Stephen. And Stephen, they were trying to tell him that, hey, you can't proclaim this. You can't say this. You can't do it. And Stephen was like, I can't stop. And so he proclaimed the gospel to them. And they got so angry that they ended up killing him right there on the spot. Well, what happened was that a lot of the other disciples and apostles got really scared. And they, went, they were spread out. 
They went into different regions. And you find that God uses a lot of, a lot of persecution as a great catalyst for the gospel to be proclaimed. And that's what happened. These disciples and these apostles were spread out. And Philip was one of those individuals. And so he went out into another area and, and was proclaiming the gospel and had a lot of great success. And so we're going to pick up the story of Philip as he's traveling along one day and see what God is talking about. But as we read this story, I'm going to take it piece by piece and section by section. I believe there are three principles that we can pull out of this story that are important for us as we are on mission together. So let's read this. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. It says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go down south, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship and he was now returning. And seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. All right, let's look at this passage of Scripture. The first principle I want to talk about that is important for us to remember as we are on mission is that we must respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. We must respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, we're on this team together. We're, we're, we're working under the same vision, same mission, but we have to follow the leader. <laughs> I loved playing that game when I was young. We have to follow the leader. That leader is God, and he directs us through the Holy Spirit. So it is impossible for us to be on mission together if we are not responding to what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. So it's imperative that we respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. Earlier in chapter 8, Philip ministered in Samaria with great results, and now we see an angel is telling him to go south. Now, I, I don't know this. This is not any theological scholar insight because I am not one of those. <laughs> but I could probably make a good guess that Philip was walking north. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, I want you to go south. Why? I need to go north. And then not only was he going south, he asked them to go south on a desert road. Now, that doesn't sound very fun to me. I don't know about you. I haven't been on too many desert roads. I've been on a few. But they're not, there's not a whole lot going on. They're very hot. There's not a lot of shade. And back then, they were actually very dangerous because that's when a lot of robbers and thieves would come and they would steal your money because no one else was around. But the Holy Spirit asked Philip to go south on a desert road. Sometimes God will ask you to go in an opposite direction that's not very comfortable. But we have to respond in the yes. Responding requires a posture of listening and obeying. In order to respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit, you have to be in a position to hear from the Holy Spirit. If you're not in a position to hear from the Holy Spirit, then my prayer is for you today that that would change and that you would be able to hear what the Holy Spirit says through reading the word, through prayer, through conversations with other people. And when you listen, that that listening, once you hear something from God, that you would turn that into obedience. 
Because it doesn't matter whether you hear from God, it's whether you're obeying what he's asked you to do. There's a great uh, author by the name of John Bevere. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but he wrote a, a wonderful book several years ago. But he talked about how when we get to heaven, we are going to be held accountable. As Christians, we are all going to be held accountable for our actions and what we've done here on earth, and we are all going to be rewarded differently. We'll be in heaven, but we'll all have different rewards. But the thing that God's going to judge us on is not based on what we've done, but on what God called us to do. Does that make sense? Because sometimes they're two different things, and they should be the same. So what is God calling you to do? What has he asked you to do? What command has he given you? And have you followed through with that? So we have to respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit. I'll share a little, little bit of our story. Um, I never had any plans of being a missionary, <laughs> oddly enough. Um, Sarah didn't either. We've uh, both been saved when we were young, about the age 10, have great godly families and parents and love the Lord our whole lives and um, went to Miami University, like I said, where we met. And I was a business major there, so I had dreams of making my millions of dollars, being a big CEO somewhere. I'd give to missions, <laughs> but that was about all that I had in my mind. And uh, so I graduated with a business degree. Sarah's, I definitely married up on this one, but she's a scientist. And so, uh, so she was a microbiology major. And, and uh, once we graduated, we were married and moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And she went to Vanderbilt University and got her doctorate degree in neuroscience and genetics, um, which is why our kids are so cute, because we made them that way. Um, <laughs> a little secret laboratory in the basement. <laughs> And um, yeah, so she got her degree, and, and then I was on my way of making my millions of dollars working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. <laughs> we'll pick you up. And, um, and just, bring, yeah, it was a good job. It was. I, I enjoyed it. But you know, it's funny, because God, you know, we think that God sends us to places, but he really sends us to people. And so that one position there at Enterprise was where we met the pastor of the church that we started attending because we hadn't found a church yet and uh, he needed a dropping off a rental car and I drove him back. We don't pick you up, we take you back too. And um, so we got talking and ended up being a part of his church. And, um, and then I ended up getting another job being Nashville, Music City USA, where all the country music and Christian music is made. I ended up working for a company uh, calling churches all day long. I'd call between 30 to 40 churches a day, scheduling Christian artists and groups and singers and entertainers and things like that. And again, God had great training for me as I have to call churches now all the time. And so that's a very comfortable process for me. Um, but it was when the attacks of September 11th took place that uh, I ended up getting laid off from that job just because churches weren't scheduling any outside groups anymore. Completely understandable. Everybody was in a state of shock and not sure what the future was holding. And so I ended up being unemployed for nine months. And um, I was just trying to apply for all these new jobs and sending out resumes, making calls and emails and things like that. And I would hear nothing back from anyone. It was complete silence. I didn't even get a thanks, we got your resume, we'll keep it on file. I mean, it was nothing. 
And I was just praying. I was like, God, what? why is this so hard? You know, what's going on? And so it was just one time that I was really praying and seeking the Lord that I felt like he was calling me into the ministry. So he had to completely remove everything out of my life, make me completely desperate, and that's when he spoke to me. And I was like, oh, ministry? Okay, I guess I could do that. And so, but we felt it was a genuine call, and God was referring, wanting me to do that. And so, I ended up getting credentialed with the Assemblies of God. And that pastor that I met at Enterprise ended up going on staff at the church uh, that we were attending a small little country church just outside of Nashville. Was there for about six and a half years. But during those six and a half years, we went on eight short term mission trips with that church. And it was the second trip that we took to Kenya that we felt God was changing our trajectory again. And uh, so this was just after we had gotten used to the new career change. And now God was changing the career again. But when we got to Kenya, we felt this deep desire to live amongst people long term to live in a community that wasn't our own. And we knew he was calling us to Africa. And I love short-term trips. Those are the best things. That's why I need you to go to Africa on a short-term trip because it'll completely change your perspective on life and your role in this world. But sometimes God calls us to do things a little differently. And so we prayed about this mission work that he was wanting us to do. And we're like, God, is this it? And we felt like it was a genuine call. Okay, so how do we do it? What do we, what do, we do? How do we get to Africa? Well, just uh, about a year and a half after that time, um, God's really cool because the floor right below where Sarah was doing her research at Vanderbilt University, um, the National Institutes of Health had just started a global institute of health, and they were putting the offices, uh, some of their offices, right on that floor below where Sarah was working, and they were offering fellowships for scientists to go and do scientific research in developing countries. And we're like, we would love to go to a developing country. Sarah loves science. This was a perfect marriage of those two things because we're trying to really figure this out. Now, you, a pastor and a scientist. Okay, it's like, it's really like the start of a, like a joke, you know, a pastor and a scientist walk into a bar and, you know, it's like, what do we do with that? How do we reconcile those two? And, uh, you know, but we're very firm believers that science just confirms the existence of God and God uses all things and all tools and all manners in our life. And so we just like, yes, this fellowship is a perfect opportunity. And so because of that, Sarah was awarded one of the only few people in the nation to get this fellowship, and the fellowship was for us to go to the University of Cape Town in South Africa for her to go do cancer genetics research at the university there, and we're like, cool, where's South Africa? And so looked on a map, found it's in the south of Africa, and we're like, yeah, this is cool, and then we find out that the University of Cape Town is the premier university in all of Africa. Like, wow, this is, this is really cool. And then we get there, and we're like, wow, this place is amazing. It's beautiful. And um, so at that time, we went there for two years. Her fellowship paid for our visas and our salaries. I had started a nonprofit missions organization, doing international trips, bringing people from the States, taking Africans to other nations, and doing local outreaches. And we just had two really great, fruitful years of ministry there. And it was there that God confirmed to us that that was where he wanted us to be. 
It just felt like home. I can't explain the peace that we had when we, when we got there. We just knew that was it. But fellowship ended. And uh, so we had to come back to the States, uh, went on staff at uh, a church in Cincinnati, and in the process, kind of where we met Jonathan and the tail end of that, and we were like, where are we doing this, God? When, when is this happening? And we really felt like it was time for us to fully step into this full-time missions thing. And uh, there was an opportunity that opened up when we started talking with the Assemblies of God. They said, hey, there's this brand new initiative called Urban Tribes. I think they want to plant a church in South Africa. Would you be interested? We're like, yes. <laughs> and that's how we got connected to where we are now. But that was nowhere close to what I wanted to do with my life. I had to kiss my millions of dollars goodbye. <laughs> But I would much rather have the opportunity to impact millions of souls than to take money that I can't take with me. But we have to respond to the Holy Spirit's agenda, whether it's part of what we plan for our life or not. Because as Christians and as followers of Christ, we have committed our lives to serving Him. We make Him Lord of our life, right? Lord, being Lord of life means that He is full control, supreme being leader over all things. But the moment that we start saying no to God is the moment he's no longer Lord of your life because now you're telling him what to do. And that's a dangerous place to be. So we have to say yes. We have to respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit because in order for this to work, us being a team and making the name of Christ known, we have to follow the plans of God, regardless of where it takes you, regardless of what it costs. Is your agenda surrendered to God's, or is what you want to accomplish with your life more important than what God created you to accomplish? Let's move on. Acts chapter 8, verse 30. So Philip ran over and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? And the man replied, how can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading from was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. So not only do we have to respond to the agenda of the Holy Spirit, the second principle we need to understand is that we have to recognize the opportunities that are in front of us. As you go about this mission, you will find opportunities will be before you that God wants you to participate in. What are those opportunities? When Philip obeyed the Holy Spirit and stood by the chariot, an opportunity was there for him to explain the Scripture. The Scripture doesn't state that Philip had another directive of God to start talking to the eunuch. You realize that there was only two commands that the angel gave to Philip. Go south, down the desert road, and stand by the carriage. That was the only thing God told him to do. 
But yet when Philip was there, he saw the opportunity was right before him to be able to listen in to the conversation of what was being read and to participate in that conversation. Philip didn't need the Holy Spirit to direct him again because he was on mission and he understood that God had already directed Philip to be his witness. Philip was living out the command that Jesus gave to every person. And that command is found in Mark 16, 15, where Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. That's Philip's command. That's our command. So as you're going about being on mission with God, you're going to see these opportunities that are before you. You don't need to pray about talking to someone about Jesus because that command's already been given. You can say, God, be with me in this moment. But you take advantage of that moment. You don't wait for God to tell you. Opportunities are moments that are presented, but they're not always directed. Many of us are waiting to be directed and we're missing out on presented opportunities. And we seize opportunities by listening to people to see where their point of need is. We don't need to follow a certain prescription when we're presenting the gospel. You just need to be flexible based on the person that you're talking to. That's why I love that portion of the scripture where it says, and beginning with that very scripture. He began talking to that person. I've been a part of too many conversations where there have been well-meaning Christians that have been talking to someone that doesn't know Christ, and they just share things that are completely irrelevant to the conversation. But it was the Christian thing to say. That may be true, but you have to get to the need. The only way you can get to the need is that you know the person. The only way that you can know the person is if you get in the middle of their mess. And getting in the middle of a mess, we don't do very well with that sometimes. We don't really like messy. I mean, how can we help someone else's mess when we have so much mess going on in our own life sometimes? But it's not about our mess, remember? It's not about our circumstances and what's going on around us. The mission is still the task. So whether your life is messy or not, you have to get in the middle of someone else's mess. Not all like annoying, <laughs> but you have to get to know them. You're going to have to get to know some of the deep and dark and dirty things. You have to go in the dark places because we're the light of the world, right? Light is completely ineffective if it's not in darkness. We have to be in darkness because that's where the gospel can be shared. And I can tell you this, though, God loves messy. God loves messy. He's not afraid of messy. He is not fearful of messy. He is not concerned about it because he can change any mess, clean it up, and make that person into a new creation. So we respond to the opportunities around us. Verse 36 and as they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And so he ordered the carriage to stop, and when he went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. So we respond to the Holy Spirit's agenda 
We recognize opportunities that are in front of us. And the third principle is that we remove barriers for others to meet Jesus. It's a very strange part of the story where they're down there having a little baptism service and then all of a sudden Philip just disappears. That would freak me out a little bit. I don't know if I'd be like the eunuch running around rejoicing. But you know why he did that? Because Philip did his job correctly. The attention was not on Philip. The attention was on Christ and God's relationship with that eunuch. And so when Philip was gone, it didn't matter because the, the, the eunuch was only focused on Christ and his relationship with him. We... As Christians, when we are talking and sharing the gospel, we have to make everything we say not about us. Now, we all have testimonies to share. We all have ways of which God has saved us and he's forgiven us, and those are things that should be shared. But I think too many times we make 90% of our testimonies about all the bad things we've done and 10% only about what God has done. And I think we need to switch that. 90% should be about what God has done and only 10% about what we've done. Because otherwise, the focus is too much on us. It's about Christ. It's about God and his forgiveness and what Jesus did on the cross. And Philip knew that. And so he's sharing only about Christ so that the eunuch, when Philip was gone, it didn't make a difference. Remove the barriers for people to meet Jesus. Philip not only took the opportunity to pre present the gospel to the eunuch, but he also removed the barriers. So what are some ways that we can do that? Well, the first one is we have to meet people where they are. However much I would love for the community of Bethel and the surrounding areas to be a part of this church, this morning they're not here. And I want them to come with all of my heart. But they're not here. Which means we have to go there. Meet them where they are. Don't always expect them to come in. God may bring some people into this church supernaturally by driving by or, or through a conversation or whatever it may be, and God can do that. But that should not mean that we stop going where they are. We have to be where they are. We have to meet them where they are. I think one thing that was really good that isn't done much anymore was the house calls. Churches that used to go visit people when they didn't come to church. That's a great idea. It's not as easy in the culture today to do that. But the point was, you went to where they were. We have to. Meet them at work. Meet them in their house. Take them out for a coffee. Whatever it takes. But meet them where they are. Because what you're doing is you're removing the barrier of proximity. People need Jesus. And this is a great place to find him. But if they're not coming here, then you bring Jesus to them in your life. Talk to them. Meet some needs. Second way that we can remove barriers 
is that we have to know Scripture and how to respond. You have to know it. There's no getting around it. You need to know what the Bible says, and you need to know how to talk to someone about the gospel. If you don't know that, then I'm thrilled that I could be here to help show a new growth opportunity for you in your life. (laughs) Because that's what we have to do. If you are a follower of Christ, you need to know what the Bible says. You need to know know how to have a conversation about that. And if you don't, then I know some great people that are here that would love to have a conversation with you about how to do that. I know a phenomenal resource called Right Now Media that you can go get a piece of paper over there and sign up for that and teach yourself how to respond and preach the gospel. But you have to take initiative. You've got to read the Bible for yourself. You have to pray. You have to be in the middle of what God wants you to do on mission. You're responding to those opportunities. And when you're doing that, then you will find that as people are coming to you and you're talking to them, that these opportunities to present the gospel will come. But you have to be ready. If someone wants to cross the finish line of faith and accept Christ in their life, you need to be the one to do that with them. Walk across the line with them. Don't say, hey, you know what? You need to come talk to my pastor. Because when you do that, that's a barrier. You need to make it as easy as possible for someone to come to know Jesus. And that involves you knowing the gospel. It's a simple gospel. But you have to know it. Speaking of that, the third way we remove barriers is we keep the gospel simple. We sang about it this morning. He came because we are sinners. We need God. And so Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead. We can be forgiven of our sins, be in a relationship with God again, and spend an eternity in heaven with him forever. Don't add anything else to it. The Bible says if you just call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. So don't make it more difficult than what it is. And then finally, invest whatever it takes. And worship team, if you want to come. Invest whatever it takes. And I'm not just talking finances, although that's part of it. But whatever it is in your life that is a barrier for you and reaching someone else, or being called into what God wants you to do, you have to remove that. And that may mean a new job. That may mean a new location. It may require you to give up your kids to fulfill their call on God's life. It may require you to give up your grandkids. It may require you to give more money than what you have in the bank. But whatever it is, if it's God-directed, You have to be willing to invest that. I want to close with this passage of Scripture in Zechariah. And in Zechariah, we see that the walls of the temple of Jerusalem, they're being rebuilt after being torn down and that God is sending his word and that he's going to bless Jerusalem again and that people are going to come back and they're going to seek the blessings of God. And this is my prayer for United Church as you guys are on mission together. 
Zechariah 8.23 says this. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. In those days, ten men from different nations and languages of the world will clutch at the sleeve of one Jew. And they will say, please let us walk with you, for we have heard that God is with you. And my prayer for your church is that as you're on mission together and you're taking advantage of these opportunities, that people are going to notice and they're going to see a difference. They're going to notice how you're united together in love and how we're working for the same purpose and calling. And they're going to notice that something's different in you because it is completely contrary to society today. But as they take notice, they're going to want that. And they're going to come up to you and they're going to see God in you. And they're saying, hey, can I please know this God? And they're going to start grabbing at your clothes. And they're going to say, I need him. And as they do that, these people, you will have these opportunities to present the gospel to them. And share with what's going on in your life and how God loves them. My prayer is that for your church as you continue on and this mission together. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we bless you, Lord, and we thank you for what you've called us to do in this mission. Whether it's here in Bethel or in Cape Town, South Africa, God, that we are all part of the same team. We are all part of the same mission. May we be bold in proclaiming your name, God. May we not give up hope. May we not give up in strength, but rely on your spirit to lead us and to direct us, to take advantage of opportunities and to remove barriers, Lord, so that people can come to know you. God, I pray for this church. I pray for this community, Lord. May your Holy Spirit be poured out upon it, Lord, and that your name would be proclaimed fearlessly throughout this area, God, for your name's sake and for your glory. We will always give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.